I know, Prayer View season isn't over yet, but they did collapse in the back half of the year, and I'd like to look into it. Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything hbcu athletics monday through friday part of the locked on podcast network your team every day and i of course am darian gray aka the mouth of the south texas southern alum and former tsu herald sports editor thank you for going on this journey with me making locked on hbcu your first listen of the day every single day and remember just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over it just means it's time to follow me on twitter at south exclusives and today's episode is brought to you by linkedin linkedin jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you need to talk to faster post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college that is linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions do apply and i understand that prairie view season is not over yet I understand they still have a chance to make the SWAC championship, but I'd be blind to not see the fact that they did collapse late in the season. I want to look at this fact from a big picture and a small picture, and I understand there is not a period on their story yet, right? So they have not finished their story. They very well could make the SWAC championship. They could win the SWAC championship, and all of this would be like a moot point. But at this moment right now, I don't think they're making it. So I would like to look at their story and look at their, their collapse late season on a big picture and then also a small picture. Now, big picture, you played 11 games. You break down the first half, second half. I'm going to go ahead and put five in the first half just to really help my point and do six in the second half. That first half of the season, they were three and two. The second half, they were three and three. Now, when you just hear that black and white, right, that's something we've been talking about. Just records put on the paper black and white. Three and two and three and three does not look much different. It's just one extra game that was played and that extra game just so happened to be a loss. But when you really break it down, the three wins in the first half of the year, all conference games. The two losses, all out of conference. Those losses mean absolutely nothing. In the back half, you had two wins in the conference, one win out of conference, and all three of those losses were conference games. And they have a huge impact. Yes, you need to go ahead and win your conference games. You want to win all your games, but you need to win your conference games to have a chance. And they've had multiple chances. And every time they had a chance, it was a conference game and they blew it. Three of, or two of those three losses were really bad, right? So let's look into the smaller scale. Now, I want to start in chronological order because you could go to what was most important, but I feel like it would, it would fail to, to properly set up the situation. When should we have had questions about Prairie View? At what point should we have been like, mm, something's not right? Because you could say that they just weren't that good, or you could say they were hot to start. I'm going to lean to the beginning, I mean to the former. No, I can't remember which order I said it in. But I'm going to lean towards them being hot to start because their best opponent all season was Alabama State, and they beat them in the first half of the year. So what happened? How did they collapse? That's why I say it's a collapse and not just they weren't that good. These guys, they, they they failed or they struggled to beat Bethune-Cookman. And I don't, fam, you didn't struggle to beat Bethune-Cookman. 
I don't think Jackson State uh, struggled to beat Bethune-Cookman. If you're one of those top-tier teams, you're not supposed to struggle against them. And I don't think Bethune-Cookman is, like, terrible, but I do believe that as a top-tier team, you were supposed to beat Bethune-Cookman this year. But instead, you struggled. You had to come back from behind. That's when we should have looked and said, something's up. Not when they lost to Southern, and you could look back and say that was the start of their downfall. But when we should have been concerned was when they struggled to beat Bethune-Cookman. But winning is like good makeup, and it covers up all of those blemishes. Because you come back and you win, now people don't realize, oh, okay, okay we kind of struggled against one of the worst teams in the SWAC this year. Anyway, now you fast forward. You have two opportunities for you to win or put some distance between you and second place in the SWAC West. And you fail each time. Each time. So, you have that all-corn game. That was a major game. You lose it. It's a losable game. I feel like it was a very winnable game, especially where all-corn was at the time. But you're very cold to start the game. You're very cold to end the game. You just have a two-to-three drive hot stretch in which you put up some points. But other than that, your offense was anemic on that day. And you had a bunch of unforced errors that led to you losing. It's on you. You lose that game. Thankfully, Southern was playing FAMU. And you See, or you get a loss from them. So now you're in the same position. You're good. But Texas Southern is closer. Alcorn is closer after that loss. So now you fast forward because that loss right there made it to where you had to beat UAPB and Mississippi Valley State. You ain't do the latter. You didn't beat Mississippi Valley State. Instead, you lose that game, and that's a very winnable game. There's no excuse for it. Look, no disrespect to my Valley folks, but they're not supposed to lose that game. Period. Prairie View had no business losing to Mississippi Valley State if they wanted to be a SWAC West champion. Now, they need a whole bunch of help. And that's what should be the most disappointing. If you are a Prairie View fan and you want to say, man, why are you talking about a collapse? It's because you need help and you ain't got no more games to play. You should not be in this situation. There should not be a situation where you need Grambling to beat Southern. I'm not going to call it luck because I think Grambling very well could beat Southern. It's the Bayou Classic. Anything could happen. But you shouldn't need it. You should be sitting at home watching the Bayou Classic because you like to watch football. And right now, you're sitting there at the uh, watching the Bayou Classic because you need Grambling to win. There's a certain level of importance around this game that would not be the case if you hadn't lost to Mississippi Valley State. This is on you. This is the collapse that I'm referencing. You cannot lose these games to Mississippi Valley State. You can't lose these games to Alcorn. You can't lose both of them. You got to pick one. You struggled against Bethune-Cookman. Maybe we're seeing this team just cool down. They were 3-2 and two to start the year. All three of those games, conference wins. They were 3-3 three and three to end the year. All three of those losses, conference losses. So if you want to look into the, the collapse of Prairie View, those are the things you need to point to. If you wondered how Prairie View went from being the team in the lead, and they didn't have to play FAMU or Jackson State. They even had to play the top two teams. But anyway, if you're wondering, how did Prairie View go from being this team that we thought really was going to win the SWAC West to being this team that is now needing help from Grambling in the Bayou Classic in order to win that championship? All you got to do is look at those three losses in the last six games. One was unacceptable. One, very understandable. And the other is kind of in the middle. You got to win two of those three, and you didn't. And that's why we are in the position that we are in right now. And going forward, we're going to be talking about the MEAC. We're focused on positivity from here on out, right? We're here for positivity from here on out. And we're going to talk about some of the players who got all MEAC superlatives and then just some of the teams who had high amounts of player on the first team, all MEAC, comp, all MEAC team. 
Before I do that, however, I would love to tell you about LinkedIn because this is for all my business owners. It's time for you to go ahead and stack up your roster. It's time for you guys to go ahead and employ the people who you want to talk to. Here's the thing. LinkedIn helps you reach out to qualified people. I talk. That's why I'm on Locked On HBCU. If the Locked On Network checked out my LinkedIn, they're going to know that I can talk. Let's put this man on the podcast. I ain't building no houses. I'm not building a house. So when you go and you look at my LinkedIn, let's go ahead and cut out that noise of me interviewing, trying to, you know, get the spot so I can be one of your, your carpenters or whatever, right? No. That ain't what I do. Go reach out to somebody who builds. And that's what LinkedIn provides you, the ability to know who's qualified and who you need to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnCollege. At LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnCollege, you can post your job for free with the purple hashtag hiring frame. Terms and conditions do apply. As we keep on rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every single day. And for your second listen of the day, stay on this platform and check out Locked on Sports Today with Peter Bukowski, bringing on all of the local experts to break down the national stories so that you can be more enlightened than some of these national guys breaking down national stories. We know it better over here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Now I want to talk about the all MEAC team. The season is over. Only team that's going to play is North Carolina Central, though I did really enjoy the idea of, uh, well, I guess this isn't for the MEAC, but just the idea of FAMU playing North Carolina a and I thought that was pretty cool. But um, anyway, only team that's going to play is North Carolina Central. The season is over, so you can basically now start rolling out your all-conference teams. The SWAC will do this in a couple of weeks when it's their time after their SWAC championship. But right now, I didn't want to have to wait a week and a half, two weeks to break down the all-MEAC team. So I decided to do it today, and we're going to start off with our superlatives. The Offensive and Defensive Players of the Year are not being announced until December 6th. There's a dinner with the National Football Foundation, I believe, and that's where the MEAC is going to announce their offensive and defensive players. And that's around the time we should get the all-SWAC team, so possibly I will break all of that down together. That's probably what I'll do, hopefully, you know, as long as time permits or whatnot. But anywho. Because if that happens in like a week later, the Swags will announce their team. I'm not waiting that long. I'll probably wait a day or two. It will be covered that week, though. So let's start off with the superlatives. And I think the easiest one was Trey Oliver being the coach of the year. I don't think there was any doubt. You can look at other things and maybe like, oh, I thought this person was going to be that. And first team, I mean, first place. For the first time, you win a, a conference championship. You're going to the Celebration Bowl under Trey Oliver. Like, how can you seriously sit here and tell me anybody else is going to be the candidate? I understand that Damon, now, Damon Wilson, maybe if they got second place, you, you could have tried to plead your case. But the truth is, Trey Oliver did a fantastic job, and he brought that fire. He called his shot kind of like Babe Ruth, and I know a lot of coaches are going to say we're going for the conference and we're going to win it all. That's the goal every year. Yes. However, with Oliver, I felt as if his fire, his ferocity, it jumped through the screen. I wasn't there, but I still felt it. And I feel like his team felt it, and his team played that way. They backed up everything that he said. So, yes, every every coach is going to call his shot. But Trey Oliver had a certain ferocity behind saying that, you know, they're, they're coming for that spot today or this year, and they got it done. So it was a clear choice. But then North Carolina Central also had their first offensive lineman of the year winner in Robert Mitchell. So 
how do I qualify that? Because sometimes it's a little bit difficult, right? It's a little bit difficult to qualify how how good an offensive lineman is from like box scores and things of that nature without studying every single snap. They had the best running game in the conference. Of course, you have the running back and the quarterback who are involved in that, but you're not getting it without a great offensive line. It's just not happening, right? So that's how I kind of qualified that when talking about him without going through film study. And then also the rookie of the year is Marquise Gillis from Delaware State, a running back. And I appreciated his job replacing Sevion Wilkerson because it wasn't easy, right? But that's what you're going to do. You're going to be constantly compared to him. And their stats are like, it's a far way apart but also he didn't get nearly as many carries so you know if we're talking about that per carry basis then yeah like they they were comparable and he did a pretty good job effectively replacing Sevion Wilkerson and he got rookie of the year because of it Delaware State does know how to recruit running backs it's clear I think that was a I think that was a a, a sign of how good they can recruit running backs you go from a first team all MEAC player in Wilkerson to a rookie of the year in Marquise Gillis like that that's a really good sign but what teams had the most players on these all-conference squads well you start off with North Carolina Central at seven that shouldn't be any shock right you are the best team they showed it throughout the year they have seven first team we're talking about the most first team right players they had seven players on the first team that's not a shocker then you have Howard at six they have six teams or six players on that team so when you have that many it kind of shows the turnaround. You know, you ain't got just two or three. and No, you got six players on that squad that, honestly, you're not even including your quarterback, Quentin Williams, or your defensive lineman, Darian Brokenberg. And those are two players who we could easily have seen on the first team coming into the season, right? So these are two of your better players, and you still came through with six. So that's very impressive. But then the one that's more surprising to me is, <clears throat> excuse me, is South Carolina State. South Carolina State had five players. And I'm kind of on the fence where, where I stand on this. If I was a fan, would I want, in a bad year, would I want a lot of players on my on, a, on an all-conference team? I'm kind of on the fence because part of me is like, yeah, at least I know I have talent, but then that makes me direct my eyes towards the coaching. And this ain't a shot at Buddy Pugh. I'm just talking in, in general, right? Just any team. We can talk about We can talk about TSU if you wanted to, right? It doesn't matter. Do I want to have a bunch of players who I think are good and then think coaching is the problem? Or do I want to, like, okay, you ain't got many players, so, yeah, we just got to recruit more talent. I don't know. I'm on the fence. I guess it, it just depends on how much I believe in my coaching. Like, I think Buddy Pugh is a good coach, so I would love to have a bunch of players that are good, especially if they can come back, because then they're going to get better, you hope. And you just, you just, when you have good coaching, you don't bank on having two bad years with this amount of talent in back-to-back -back years. So I just think the amount of, First team, all MEAC selections that they had just shows South Carolina State may have had a rough year, but they had a lot of individual talent, including B.J. Davis and Shaq Davis, right? So it's just it's just a situation where, I don't know. You you let me know what you would like. I, I'm, on, I'm always on the fence when it comes to things like that. But going forward, I want to talk about the trends that you're going to see from Benedict College and then also Wingate because these two teams are facing off in the second round of the D2 playoffs. Before I get into that, however, I would love to tell you about Bet Online, our good friends and the money makers that you need to make sure that you are involved with. So 
Bet Online has you cut co- has you covered this season with more odds, props, and lines than ever before. But they're also extremely versatile. If you like that sport, I promise you they have it. MMA. Who was putting their money down on us Adesanya getting knocked out in the fifth? I mean, that was I ain't gonna say it was shocking, but it was definitely surprising, right? So you have football, professional, college. The playoffs are coming up. The the for the college, of course, college football teams. Then you have college basketball, NBA. You have the World Cup. You can put your money down on it, on a variety of things on Bet Online where the game starts. As we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, we're going to wrap up with the Benedict versus Wingate game. And Benedict has had a great year, a great season. And now they're in the playoffs, the their first number one seed in the playoffs, right? So my thing with Benedict is you're playing for yourself, but at the same time, you're you're not really playing for HBCUs, but like you you holding it down for HBCUs and you kind of getting to get back for all D2 HBCUs too. So when I say you're playing for HBCUs, clearly you're playing for yourself. And that's the only thing that really matters in that locker room. Um, that's the only thing that really matters, period. You're playing for yourself. But then, you know, just these alternate storylines, these just like these side you know, these side notes is you're the only HBCU who can win a, a playoff game this year. You had two in the D2 playoffs, both of which lost in the first round. And then North Carolina A&T and FAMU weren't able to make it. So now you're looking at a situation where, yeah, you want to win for you. But if you do win, you're going to have a lot of people on your back. And when I say you got to get that get back for D2 HBCUs, Shaw, Fayetteville State, Virginia Union, they all got knocked off by Wingate. Like this, this team, this Wingate team is kind of like the, the legend killer when it comes to HBCUs and all of them at evolution. Like he just attacked Triple H, Batista, and Ric Flair. You knocked off Shaw, Fayetteville State, and Virginia Union. But somebody had to stop the legend killer. Somebody had to. And that person needs to be Benedict College. That's how I'm looking at it. Shout out to my sister because I know um, she's too young and she doesn't listen to the podcast. But if she is listening, she would appreciate my wrestling reference. Um, but yeah. When I'm looking at this matchup, there's a couple of trends that I really want to look at and ones that are going to have to break because it's like they're on separate sides of the spectrum where Benedict is good at one thing and then Wingate is good at stopping it and then vice versa. Wingate is really good at something and Benedict is good at stopping it. It's it's one of those things where you have really good play on both sides of the ball, so something has to break. Let's look at some of these trends, though. Wingate has just done a phenomenal job eliminating the running game, right? So let's think back. I believe it was yesterday's episode. I know you all listen to it because I'm your first listen of the day every day, right? So, uh, <laughs> but you look back at that Wingate versus Bennett or versus Virginia Union recap that I did. And one of the biggest takeaways was Jada Byers didn't have a great game, right? And that was one of the reasons and probably the biggest reason that Virginia Union did lose because Wingate did a phenomenal job neutralizing and slowing down Jada Byers. And he said they, he'd never seen linebackers flow like that. So they don't allow a lot of rushing running yards. It just doesn't happen. Well, Benedict gets a lot of running yards, right? So Benedict College has ran for over 150 yards in all but four games this year. Wingate has only allowed over 150 yards in two games this year. You continue rolling. Eric Phoenix is very effective on his uh, when running the ball, when passing the ball. He's a great dual threat quarterback. He's somebody who's been effective in every game, right? So y'all know Benedict College. This is their fourth game of the week type uh 
highlight. We highlighted the Albany State game. We highlighted the Fort Valley game. We highlighted the Tuskegee SEAC uh, championship game. So we highlighted all of those. Y'all know about Benedict at this point, right? So it's kind of surprising how much we covered them, but we have. And, and, and it's been a, a great time. Well, you look at they've had over 450 total yards in two of the last three games. They scored over 35 points in four of the in their last four games and seven times this year. So this is a high-powered offense that knows how to score points. Wingate doesn't allow points. They haven't allowed more than 24 all year long. These are the trends. Something has to break. Either they have to allow more than 24, right? You could have a middle ground about 30, 31 points or something of that nature, but that's still a win for, for uh, Benedict. Then you look at their offense because, or the defense, excuse me. They're really strong defensively. They, they didn't get to this point by being one-dimensional. The, the Benedict defense has allowed over 300 yards only twice, and one was in a blowout victory. So really, what does that really weigh? You're looking at one serious 300-yard game by the opponent. Meanwhile, Wingate has had over 300 yards all but one time in the last eight weeks. Something's got to change. Now, one trend that you don't want to change if you're a Benedict fan is Wingate throws a lot of interceptions. You're going to give me one or two interceptions in every game nearly. Benedict has had interceptions in half of the games. If you want to win this game, you might have to get a couple of turnovers. It's not going to be easy sledding for the offense. I don't, I don't expect it to be. You're going to have a tougher shot than you typically do. Well, get the ball back to him. If you, if you have 10, 10 possessions and it's like, okay, well, against this defense, you're only going to score on seven of them or six of them. Well, let's go ahead and give me 12 possessions now and maybe I can score on seven or eight of them because I now have turnovers and I'm getting my team the ball maybe on short fields. Interceptions should be big, and I'll really be watching and seeing, okay, can they produce some turnovers this week? Because if they do, it's going to give themselves a better chance at winning this game. And I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day. Every day I just checked, tomorrow's episode is actually my one-year anniversary with the Locked On Network, so I'm kind of excited. I don't know how we're going to do this, but I, I do know that I want to have I don't know. I want to do something. I do know that I want to do something. I'm just not sure how I'm going to celebrate it. But yes, one year with the company. Shout out to Locked On HBCU. Shout out, shout out to you. I appreciate you guys so much for your second listen of the day. Make sure you're checking out the Locked On Sports Today podcast with Peter Bukowski. And on tomorrow's episode, we're going to be talking about the Bayou Classic because that is our last episode of the week. We're going to record that Wednesday night and we are going to enjoy Thanksgiving. All right. In the meantime, in between time, if you want to look for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family. Take care. Stay blessed. Peace. <sighs>